So I wanted to show just a video, a little bit on the process of how these walls are made. And then I want to get into Scripture, because Scripture does say in 1 Peter, it talks about living stones. And it talks about Jesus being the living stone. I want to get into that as well. But let's watch the video, because I think it's going to be helpful to keep this in mind while I'm preaching. Okay, so let's pray that this works. <laughs> okay, should we try it, Laura? 20 years ago, I came to this area and what work was available was working as a, as a mason's helper. He found he had an affinity for rock. Five years ago, Mark gave up mortar for the strength of dry stone. Time destroys mortar with freezing weather, water damage, and moving earth. But dry stone shifts with the seasons. This afternoon, Mark is working on a driveway entrance in Kirby Knob. It's a freestanding wall of Kentucky sandstone, a material of challenging shapes. The wall is nearly halfway up, so he's laying the through stones, which weigh about 50 pounds each. It's crucial that you get perfect contact all the way across the wall, because this is what holds your wall together. He perfects that contact by wedging in smaller bits of rock. You want to get as many pieces underneath that little fellow as you can get. Mark starts surrounding the three through stones with more face stones. He selects them carefully, as if this is a jigsaw puzzle and the right piece must be here somewhere. It's one stone at a time. You just have to work one stone at a time. Sometimes even the right piece can use a few adjustments. The fun is making little ones out of big ones and fitting them up, putting them, organizing them, creating a little harmony out of chaos. He fills the gaps with tiny odds and ends of rock called parting. Harding is properly named because it's the heart of a wall. If you, don't, if you don't put the harding in properly, that wall is just not going to stand. That's because over time, freezing and thawing can cause rocks to shift, turning small gaps into big voids. That can cause a wall to collapse. We do some, some rock fence repair, and many times when you, when you uh, approach a tumble-down section, you'll find virtually no harding. It's clear the design makes this wall stronger than just any pile of rocks. We're going to put another 800 pounds of stone on top of each one of these through stones, and that is really going to cement that wall together without the use of concrete. It will take more than a week to finish this back-breaking, rock-breaking... So much for that. ...labor. The wall on the other side of the drive is nearly complete. Mark has laid a broad layer of capstones atop the two faces. Now he's topping that with a row of coping stones. Functionally, what it does is it puts the weight of four stones on one capstone. With them, Mark caps off a new chapter in Kentucky's rocky history. It's going to stand the test of time. This wall will be here for 150 to 200 years, as is. An amazing feat since there seems to be nothing holding it together. Okay. It's built not with fixatives and, and glues. It's built with the, uh, the skill and the, and the patience 
and the strength of the mason who built it. So he's, he really puts a part of his life in each, in each wall. In an age of technology, Mark Martin is helping revive a tradition born in the old country and reared in the heart of old Kentucky. Okay, awesome. <laughs> in the heart of Kentucky. That's the kind of <laughs> Not going to lie, I want to be like Mark when I'm older. I think he's pretty cool. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, apart from the obvious puns that the, <laughs> the reporter was very excited about, there's something in that video, right, where it shows this thing of this wall being built by this master stonemason, okay? And it's this incredible process. And uh, we see throughout Scripture, right, we see um, well, the Scripture I want to talk about now is us being referred to as living stones and Jesus being the living stones. And in a sense, he's building this wall as a master mason or master stonemason. So I want to get into the Scripture quickly and then I'm going to break it down for us and think what it means for us as a congregation. So 1 Peter 2, 4-9. Okay. So as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We spoke about that now in worship. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Uh, to you who believe in, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejects has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and so, and so to that they've been appointed. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you, were not, you, once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, as we watched that video of this master stonemason building this wall, there were lots of stones that he spoke about, right? He spoke about the through stone and the facing stone and the capstone. And there was one other I've forgotten now, but the facing stone. But in fact, as we read through Scripture, Scripture only talks about the most important stone, which is the cornerstone. Now, some of you might know this, but the cornerstone, when it was uh, put in in ancient architectural masonry, was the first stone that was laid as the foundation stone for the rest of the building. And so we see in Scripture that Jesus is, is a likened to this cornerstone. Now, what that means is the cornerstone was placed as the first stone, and everything else lined up with that stone. Okay, so if the wall went that way, it lined up with the cornerstone. If it went that way, it lined up with the cornerstone. The most important stone, the first stone to be laid in any foundation. And over time, the cornerstone has kind of evolved a little bit. So you might know if you go to a building now, you see a cornerstone, and it's got someone's name. Like this building was built by Blake Atwell in 1910, okay, and then, and then what Blake Atwell would do was take things that he found important from 1910, hollow out the stone, and put everything inside that cornerstone, okay, so that was more ceremonial, but even in that picture, there's something quite beautiful, 
that that cornerstone is not just a stone, but it now has a name. In fact, that cornerstone's name is Jesus. And everything about Jesus is what we need for life and godliness. Everything inside of him is what we need for life and godliness. Not only to line us up this way and that way, but to give us everything we need in life. And so we see um, throughout Scripture, not only this passage, but we see that Jesus is a cornerstone around which the church is built and lined. Ephesians 2.20 says, uh, Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Or Psalm 118.22, which is the, the, the psalm that is referenced, in the one that Peter is referencing in his passage. It says, The stone which the builders refused has become the head's cornerstone, the headstone of the corner. Semantics. <laughs> now, if you think about it, as I was going through this passage, I thought, well, Jesus is the cornerstone. That's cool. But um, stones are often associated with something being quite lifeless. If you think of a stone, you pick up a stone and go, this thing's full of life. It's like, no, it's usually brown, it's pretty heavy, it's lifeless. In fact, there's a saying, who knows the saying, stone dead? <laughs> I don't, do we even use that anymore? I don't know. It feels like a Western kind of thing, yeah. In Kentucky, I bet you they use that saying. <laughs> that boy's stone dead. Anyway, I'll never do that again on a microphone. <laughs> But stone dead describes something that is, is dead literally and figuratively and it's lifeless and motionless and cold. Okay, and generally that's how we would see a stone. And as I was thinking through this, I was thinking, well, that's interesting because if our cornerstone was dead and lifeless and cold, I think we'd be in a little bit of trouble. And then I got to thinking more about some of the cornerstones that are in world religions. Now here's a thought. Who is the cornerstone of Islam? Let's just say Muhammad or Allah. Is he alive? Is he dead? Is he lifeless and cold? Well, well then that is... <laughs> what? So dead. <laughs> Well, then that is the cornerstone that that religion is built around, which means they are building around a dead stone. Think about Buddha or Krishna or any of these other religions that are building around a cornerstone that is lifeless and dead. But thankfully for us, as I read this passage, I'm struck by something amazing, that in verse 4 it says, as you come to him, the living stone. It's kind of this weird paradox of something that's it's a stone, but it's living. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight. You see, unlike these other religions, our cornerstone, our foundation, is very much not dead, but is alive and living. And we know this because Scripture tells us this. It tells us in Matthew 28.5. I love this story. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. 
Well, generally when you are risen from the dead means you're alive. Hopefully. <laughs> and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, where you will see him. See, I have told you. Or Romans 6, 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. <laughs> every other head of every other religion is dead, literally and figuratively gone, forever dead. Jesus has risen, he's alive, and he will never die again. That should give you great hope. He will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. He is alive. Death very much has dominion over Krishna. I don't say that lightly. And so we see that Jesus is this, he's the cornerstone on which this building or this temple will be built. But he's not only a dead cornerstone, he is alive and living and very much within our midst. And then we need to ask ourselves, well, what is the reason for the cornerstone? Why do we have the cornerstone? It's great that Jesus is alive and he's a living stone, but why is he there? Well, we, because we, we are building something around that cornerstone. The scripture goes on to say, you also, like living stones, so Jesus is the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, to Jesus Christ. So we have the living stone, and we are living stones made alive through Christ. I was practicing the sermon in my bedroom before church, and Heike was going, what about salvation? And then I added that in there. <laughs> we're not alive by the fact that we are alive when we're born. We're only alive by the fact that Jesus Christ has made us alive. There's no one in this room who is saved who made themselves alive in Christ. We are only made alive in Christ through him, through the saving work of salvation. So we are living stones because of what he has done for us. And because he's the cornerstone, he's taking these living stones and he's building a temple and a spiritual house in which he can dwell. A temple. And we are being built up. I had a picture of the Wailing Wall. Do we have that picture? I've never been to Israel. We were, we were scheduled to go about Corona years. Yeah. Ah, good old Corona. Okay. So the Wailing Wall is this incredible wall, which is an, an amazing picture, actually, of, of what Peter's talking about. So when Peter's talking to his audience in, in Scripture, he's going, he's talking about a spiritual house, and immediately they're going, the temple. Okay, I get what you're saying, the temple. We've been built, the temple, I get it, this is it. And this is just one wall of the temple that's remaining, if I'm, if I'm correct. There's, it would have been, obviously, a lot bigger than that. And you see these massive stones that are all fitted together perfectly, each one in its right spot. I mean, it's an incredible piece of building and architecture. All of that would have been built around one cornerstone. And so Peter's audience would have had this in mind. And if we go back to the video and we think of that stonemason, there was the one scene where he was chipping away at the rock. 
Now, it would be very hard to believe that the builders of this wall found these stones in exactly this shape and size and went, all right, we're going to put that one there because this is perfect. I would be more inclined to believe that there was maybe a quarry where these rocks were taken out of and then they were shaped and chipped and hammered into the shape that they needed it to be. Does that make sense to everyone? Okay. So I'm not the only one thinking that. And so we see this thing of um, these rocks being chiseled and hammered, and all the rough edges of the stones had to be smoothed so that the stones would create a sturdy, strong wall. And we saw again this, the picture of that stonemason chipping away the pieces until they all fitted. And the question I want to ask, and I, I probably know where I'm going with this, is if each one of us are living stones being built up into a holy temple, I have to ask, I wonder what my rough edges are. What are the, and what are the parts of your personality, my personality, your character, my character, that rub other living stones the wrong way and keep us from fitting together to build a strong, united spiritual house? <laughs> now, I know we've all been chipped and chiseled, and we're all perfect. And as I sit and watch this room, it's a perfect wall, just like that one, that has already been built. No worries. Except that's not true. Because all of us are constantly going through this process of being chipped and chiseled by God, the master stonemason, and being fitted into this wall. Some of us are further along the path than others. Marco is very far. I'm very new. I've got lots of things that need to be chiseled and chipped off me. And Mike is pretty much perfect, right? Mike's in there. <laughs> Mike just slotted in perfectly. He's like, there, go, done. <laughs> See, what has God done and what is he doing in my life and your life to shape us? And as much as God shapes us individually, he also shapes those around us. We are all being shaped by God to one day look something like that. Now, I want you to look to the person next to you and say this. God is using you to shape me. <laughs> okay, maybe not the kids and the parents, although maybe... <laughs> You see, it's a little bit humbling and also a little bit terrifying that God is shaping us individually, but then he uses the church and the people around us to shape us as well. He uses fellow believers to chip those little things off of us that he needs taken off. Okay. <laughs> Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says this, As iron sharpens iron... So one man sharpens another. It's a beautiful scripture and quite terrifying at the same time. <laughs> now, of course, this should go without saying, but we sharpen one another and we shape one another in love. Okay? Please don't take this as license of Dylan going, you can say whatever you want to each other because I'm shaping you. That just, <laughs> right. You end up just being a big 10-pound hammer who crushes people. 
We are not in the business of crushing one another. We are in the business of chiseling through the Holy Spirit and with love, shaping one another so that we too can fit into that wall. If you are hammering people, you will speak to me. <laughs> Obviously, someone needs to speak to me. <laughs> speak the truth in love is what Ephesians 4.15 tells us. And humility. And please, on the, on the other end of that, as much as we speak the truth in love and we are shaping one another, can I ask us to be a people who are robust, who are not easily offended? See, there's two sides to that thing. You can be always uh, you, this, 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 this. And if someone says one thing to you, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Take that hammer away from me. Meanwhile, you're just kind of just touching them lightly with the little thing. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm not a stonemason. I don't know the names of these tools. I'm not giving people license to go around challenging and chiseling and shaping each other and then hiding behind scripture going, Dylan said I can do this. It's fine. Please, have a heart of love. Have a heart in the correct place when you do this. If you're looking to chip away at someone out of spite or malice, then all you need to do, and this is very practical, is to go a few scriptures back from the one we just read. So we were reading out of 1 Peter 2. If you just go back to 1 Peter 1.22, it says this. Since you have been since you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth, so that you have a genuine love for your brothers, love one another deeply from a pure heart. For you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but an unperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. If those things are your motivation for pointing out or trying to correct a brother in Christ, you need to go back to the first part where it talks about brotherly love and affection. Now, I've talked a lot about chipping and chiseling and hammering. And, uh, well, we have to know that those things can be a little bit painful. I don't know when last you hit yourself with a hammer. Um, I'm not very DIY. So it's quite a good chance that I do when I do DIY. And then I just get more frustrated because I'm already frustrated because the thing I'm trying to do in DIY is not working. I don't know. I go into DIY frustrated and I come out more frustrated. <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> then I call Wayne Turner. Where's Wayne? Yeah. <laughs> it's not my happy place. But sometimes correction can hurt. But it always should be and it's always for the person's good. Proverbs 27, 6 says, As wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from an enemy can be trusted. Which means if that person's heart is right towards you and they're seeing something, they're trying to correct something out of love, it's going to hurt a little bit because it says a wound, not just a little tap, it says a wound. But that wound will heal, and when it heals, it will bear the fruit of righteousness, right? It will bear fruit in, in what it does. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And now, 
I'm also not saying that it's going to be a constant process of chipping and chiseling because that would make church quite a hard place to be. If you go into a community group every week and something's always telling you what you're doing wrong, well, it's going to get a little bit hectic. And that's not what I'm saying. There will be seasons that you go through, seasons of, of being shaped and molded and, and fitted into where you're supposed to fit. But not always. Sometimes some of you might just be in a season of like, man, life is awesome. Jesus is so good. I feel the joy of the Lord. Like I've come out of a season and I'm you. Or, or sometimes God just does stuff supernaturally. Sometimes he just removes something supernaturally. He's like, oh man, that was incredible. It's gone. Woo. I didn't have to go through the process. Others of us go through the process. Ah, okay. It's not always like that. But there should be times of, of being shaped and molded, but also times of being incredibly liberated and times of being free and free in what God has won for you on the cross, okay? Please can church not always or ever just be a thing of like, ah, oh, you're getting it wrong, you're getting it wrong. No, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. <clears throat> so the question I want to ask now is, who here has been transformed in some way or another by the shaping of a faithful friend? One, two, three. Okay, well, the hands are slow to go up. And generally, they bear a, a good harvest, right? Is that right? Okay. So we are, Jesus is the living stone. We are living stones. And we are being shaped to fit into this temple, which I'll get to now. But some of you might be sitting here going, well, thanks for that. Um, I don't really like the talk of being shaped and molded. And um, yeah, that's just not for me. And uh, you guys can get on with that. And it's awesome. You can become more like Jesus. But uh, I might just go my own way. And you're going, no, I don't think that I want to be fitted into what's happening here because obviously there's a lot of reasons. There could be past hurts or maybe you just don't want to submit yourself to being, to being corrected, maybe, to be honest. And the risk there is you go from being a living stone to being a rolling stone. <laughs> hey, you see what I did there? <laughs> Yo, come on, that was awesome. <laughs> Debbie doesn't like it. <laughs> you see, when you say, I don't want to be in that process, I don't want to allow God to shape me, I don't want the church to shape me, I just want to be who I am, I don't want to be here, and then you roll off. There's that famous song, Papa Was a Rolling Stone. <laughs> yeah. And there's that famous saying, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Which means basically a rolling stone never puts down roots and is around long enough for anything meaningful to really happen. It's just like, ah, moving on. And in fact, in the 19th century, they would say that of rich gentlemen. They'd say, that man is a rolling stone. Because, <laughs> that's another good accent. I'm on, I'm on fire with accents tonight. <laughs> because, because that... But literally, he would go, I see winter coming. I need to get ready. Basically, it meant I need to get into the peat mines to start mining peat to, to make things right in my house. And he was like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to move on. And the locals would be like, that guy is a rolling stone. 
He's not actually, he's not prepared to put in a work to get stuff done. He's just going to flit somewhere else and leave and then try to figure it out on that side. See, the problem with that is that you can't build a wall with rolling stones. And we are being built into a dwelling place for the Lord. See, this means that often you get hurt people who roll from one church to the next, not allowing God to put his finger on issues or to chisel things away. They'd rather leave. And the tragedy is that they become these solo stones out in the wilderness. And of course, again, I need to say there's many reasons why people leave church. This is not the only one. Please, I'm not saying that. But as a pastor, it's very hard to face. And I'm grieved because my heart is always to lead people into what God has for them. In fact, that should be the heart of every leader in the church. And I think, unfortunately, what does happen and why people do roll on is because they've experienced something of, of this thing of being chiseled, but it's been with a heavy hand. <laughs> you see, a shepherd who beats his sheep more than he gets the staff and draws them back in. And I understand that. And it's a tragedy when that happens. So my question to you would be, if that is something you struggle with, are you a rolling stone or a living stone? And my encouragement to you would be a living stone. Be a living stone who is part of a household, who is being built into something together with everyone else in this place, who is ready to go through the process in order to build something which is a house for the dwelling of God. Verse 5 says this, And you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The main thing here is that we as a church are meant by Christ to be a corporate dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, it's true that each one of us are a temple of the living Spirit, of the living, of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. But there is more of God to be known and enjoyed than anyone can know in isolation. Let me say that again. There is more of God to be known and enjoyed than anyone can know in isolation. We are being fitted together for a temple, for a dwelling of God by His Spirit. There is a presence and power and manifestation of the Spirit of God meant to be known in this gathering of worship that we do not know any other time in isolation. That is why we are being built together and shaped together. John Piper says this, We are not just isolated living stones, we are, verse 5 says, being built by Christ into a spiritual house. The stones are meant to fit together in this house. 
that something whole, something more than a collection of individuals comes into being, a temple, a dwelling place for his, by his spirit. Something more than a collection of individuals. That's a powerful line. So I hope you know what you've signed up for. <laughs> if you remember. Yeah, yeah. Too late. No jokes. <laughs> yeah. But that's what it is, right? We've been built together to dwell together so that Christ can dwell with us and in us and through us. I love that my mother-in-law, Ronwin, was saying as well. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. <laughs> we love that first part. Oh, it's like, yes, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And then we end it there. It's like, ah, that's me. Yes, it is you. It's you, and this is what you need to do. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Well, what does declare mean? It means to go out and actually verbally declare to people, I'm a royal priest. By the fact that Christ has saved me, and you too could be in a royal priesthood if you surrender your life to Christ. That's declaring what it is. But we stop often and go, oh, I'm a royal priest. It's so cool in the royal court. Hey, look at these peasants out there. <laughs> How do we do that though? Susan invited me to the race. Actually, Susan invited me to the racing at Kalani. It was awesome. It was wild and out of my comfort zone, and it was just crazy. And there was like, folks were brying, and it just, Thorin was there, and Gabe, and it was like, where am I? Like, literally at some point. But it was amazing, actually, because as different as it is, I'm still called to declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness to those people. It doesn't matter where I am. Like, I could be the most uncomfortable person. It doesn't matter. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. My timer. Okay. So what does it mean for us as a church? What is the application? How do we apply this? Let's keep looking to Christ as the cornerstone, allowing him to shape us and to chip away anything that he wants to and to cherish this thing called the church. And the whole reason is so that we can be built into a place that people are drawn to and invited to, a place where the Spirit of God dwells. Now, some of you tonight might feel like you are a rolling stone. I don't know, I know most of the people in the room, I don't know everyone. Maybe when I said earlier, this is not for me, maybe that resonated with you. It's like, I don't know if I want to commit myself to this process. Or maybe you feel like a rejected stone. <laughs> Again, as a pastor, like, I don't want anyone to feel like they're a rejected stone. I want to bring everyone in and build them into what God is doing in this hustle. But sometimes we do feel like that. We're like, how can God ever use me? I'm too broken. There's nothing he can do with me. I can't be part of this wall because you don't know who I am or what I've done. Like, I can't. Maybe you feel like that. Or maybe you simply have not wanted to give yourself 
to being built into the wall. Today, the call is to give yourself to this spiritual house. To be built in. And then lastly, maybe you are or you feel like a dead stone. That maybe as I've been speaking and talking, you realize that you're not a living stone who's been made alive through Christ. That actually there's, as these words that I've said, have, they've just been like, what is he talking about? I hope most of you don't feel that way. Maybe you're just like, I don't feel what he's talking about inside of me. I don't feel like I've been made alive. In fact, when he, when he described what a stone is, I feel like that. I feel dead and lifeless and motionless and cold towards the things of God. And I do believe that today God wants to change that dead stone. As he says in scripture, he takes a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And his call this afternoon to anyone who doesn't know him is simply to come to him and surrender, to confess our sins, to confess that he is Lord, and to give our lives to him so that he can do the exchange inside of us. As we're saying in worship, we can't do it by ourselves. None of, none of, no one who's a dead stone can make themselves a living stone outside of the miraculous work of salvation. And it is a miracle. So I, I do want to ask if there is anyone here who feels like they don't know how to respond to Christ, if they don't know Christ, that you can come and speak to me afterwards. I would love to pray for you. Because my encouragement would be not to spend the rest of your life dead and cold and motionless, but to come to Christ. Because he will change your life and he will give you life where you don't have life at the moment. And then I'm going to pray for those of us who are here who either feel like they're a rolling stone out of choice because they just don't want to commit to anything and they want to keep moving. And for those who feel like they are too broken and maybe they feel like a rejected stone, who, who, how can God ever use me? And my encouragement to you is that God can and he will use you. There's no one who is beyond or broken enough that God can't use you. <laughs> Why don't we bow our heads and I'll pray for us.